My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. I hope you might be poolside or mountainside right now, enjoying the dog days of summer. And it would be slightly ironic as well for this episode is one on listening. This isn't one just to put in the car and kind of tune out. We had a great conversation with Dan Allender, who you're probably familiar with if you've been in the and Sons Ransomed Heart circuit for very long. He's written several different articles for us. He was in the motorcycle film that came out a year ago. And conversations with Dan are always something that we look forward to. I remember the time that I asked Dan a little bit about his mental state in riding a motorcycle. And he kind of started his answer with the history of the Roman Empire. So Dan can talk about anything. The great thing is that if you get him focused, there's tons to glean on any topic that he will talk about for any given time. And we got him going on listening. This is not five ways to become a better listener. This is actually one of the more complex explanations of how human beings relate to one another through the act of listening I've ever heard. And if you actually commit to listening to this episode and to understanding what Dan is offering, I think it can transform your relationships as few things will. Where I would love to begin exploring is... Uh, just ways that you've learned to listen and maybe like listen to what's actually going on rather than what people are saying, because there's probably, there's many layers there and, and ways that I think practically we could practice one or two or three things that, you know, like to become someone who's a better listener, a a better reader of of what's being said from really intense conversations like a, a story workshop or coffee with a friend to, to just hanging out. And you're passing by someone in the lobby and, and you sort of crave relationship and you crave being known, but really you're, you're not really listening. And so some ways that we could begin to kind of, you know. The first category that I, I think of when I think of what it means to listen well is that we, we are all made for having a or many people who witness our lives, you know, who are there for weddings, who are there to grieve significant losses to celebrate beautiful moments of of transition and without a witness in some ways we exist apart from others eyes but we don't exist apart from the eyes of god and he has created us as relational beings who are meant to have people who note us who in one sense we become large enough that we take their full or near full attention. And I think that's one of the great gifts of a marriage or, or a friendship. Like in this next 20, 30 minutes or hour, two hours or day, really in some ways, nothing else exists but us, but you, but where this takes us. And that sense of having a witness, I think is just the core of what it means to have the testament, the, the covenant, that I exist in a relationship that matters. So, I mean, that kind of 
when you're having a conversation, you need to determine, will I give myself to this process, to this person, to this moment? Or, or is there something else superseding that has to be also taken into account? Which is why when I sit down with somebody, which I did a couple hours ago, we began at you know 11 o'clock uh, this morning. And I said, do you have a time frame? Because we're eating lunch and lunch could be an hour, could be an hour and a half, but it could be longer. And the person said, no, I don't have any, I don't have any commitments. And I said, of course you do. I mean, what's your, what are we bumping up against with regard to time? And uh, this person said, well, I, I need to be gone by three. I said, it's good to know. I need to be home by two o'clock. So I said, I'm free. Uh, and wherever this conversation goes, if it's an hour, it's great. If it ends up being until quarter till two, that's good. But that's where you've got to make a commitment knowing that you're a finite being, you've got to create a context in which you give people the parameter of, you have my time, you have my heart for the next two hours. There's nothing wrong with being able to say, and after two hours, I move to another world where I hope equally to give my heart as fully as I know how to give. So that sense of witness within parameters. None of us, I mean, I've committed only one to one relationship until I die. And that's my the relationship with Becky. That's That relationship was never made to my children. That relationship's not made to my people I work with. Only one relationship do I say, I will be a witness to your life until I pass from this earth. But everyone else, we in one sense have to be honest to say, do you have time tomorrow? No when's the next time we can get together? And what I said to this guy was, um, I think the second week in September. And he looked at me with a look like, what? After what we just talked about, you can't meet with me? No. You know, I think I saw the word bastardo in his eyes as he looked at me, but that's the framework of what my summer holds. No. So to be present, to be a witness, does not mean you're bound does not mean you have lost your ability to choose. So I think that when you are choosing to enter as fully as you possibly can into another person's life, for whatever moments that you have given them, there is a goodness and it creates desire just as it did. I would have loved to met with him at another point this summer, but there's time, but there are other obligations, commitments, and desires that supersede involvement until like the second week in September. So that's so essential to be in that position to say, whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. I mean, be be full-hearted in quitting. I mean, be full-hearted in a bowel movement. I don't care what it is, but you cannot be bound unless your heart is already given to it. And that freedom already changes the nature of how I listen to you. Mm. I'm immediately struck by two things that the first two things you said, the, the witness and the, and the time. And we can come back to the witnessing piece because I feel like there's a lot to be explored there. But with time, I, I, can, I, I can feel that, that almost human need to reach out and, and be like, I, if I'm empathizing with you, if I'm going to be available for you, that sort of means that I should sort of be infinitely available or potentially like this conversation can go as long as it needs to. I can see you again tomorrow. I can cancel engagements. Like you can be my priority. At the same time, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say that to me. That's sort of like this unspoken sort of expect expectation. And to set up 
sort of a, a box or you know a place where that exists, like you've been saying, would almost feel rude. The man's or this this person's response is what? Like September, but like I, I'm free until two o'clock today. I experienced two things internally at the same time. The first is like, oh, that's hard to say to someone. That feels like a in this day and age where you can sort of have anything you want anytime. It's like very counter-cultural. And the second reaction I have actually is an experience of sort of this exhale of, oh, okay, I get to be in this space and we know that I'm going to be fully present because the, if the alternative is true, that I, you have all of my attention and potentially you have none of it because I'm thinking about all the other things in the day. Yeah, and once that gets given, there is just no promise of of where this will take us. I mean, I mean, I've had conversations where I thought I was going to be of help to somebody, and it changed the direction of my life. Like I didn't expect that there would be consequences for me. I thought I was just being helpful to you, and goodness, uh, you know, you, you might not look at more than a few in your life, but that's the surprise. And really the the wildness of, of what God brings, you don't know where this conversation will go. So you better be all in. You know, I think about all the sports I played over a lifetime. Almost every injury came because I wasn't going full speed. I didn't do whatever I was doing with a full heart. And that's where you're sort of hesitant. You're on the border. You're in but not in. And all of a sudden, you know, that's that's when something ill happens for yourself and for others. But, you know, if you go a bit beyond that to say, given that, then I need to be known and I need to know you. And to me, knowing in that sense uh, always begins with, what does being known take us to? And I always think of these two words. Well, the first word is just worship. And that is the experience of being delighted in and in that sense of being grateful for and also being honored. So we're meant to have conversations that I'm not affirming you nor saying everything's well, but you know at some level you've captured my heart and there's delight for you. And that there's honor between us and where honor actually begins to break down by the presence of contempt, we have the courage to be able to say, uh, you know, that sentence didn't wash well. Uh, I don't know what you're wanting to imply by that, but my heart does not feel just well with you with that. So the ability to have conversations where delight and honor are the intent of our knowing. It isn't just knowing certain things about you or stories that might be hard to bear that you want somebody else to bear with you. It's is the goal in knowing. What's the goal in knowing? It was to join God in worship through delight and through honor. And as long as that's the core, then I know what I'm doing. I know that maybe there's a book I can recommend, or maybe there's a thought you've not thought through that might be helpful to engage. But so what? I mean, I've, I've been given advice that's really good, and I've forgotten it within two minutes. But in the same way, uh, I've had offhanded remarks that really were not actually helpful. And yet, because of the presence of the delight of the other, it felt, it, it felt life-giving. So that's how we begin to have conversations, a, a, a relinquishment of our time in those moments with honor and delight it begins to open up possibility of exploration of who we are together, who you are, who I am, who we are together, that almost inevitably has an element of surprise. And therefore, the 
presence of the wildness of God. So we want worship and we want change. We want transformation. And worship and transformation simply go together hand in hand. And if that's the goal of a conversation, you can see uh, it's, I mean, what more fun is there in life than joining together through words to create something we couldn't have imagined existing before in the way that it did and does now? First of all, that was a fantastic line. Second of all, I I wanted to say sex with my wife, but that is a really good... (laughs) Yeah, but that's intercourse. And it's and you have to use the word sexual intercourse because all intercourse of that's the whole point of what intercourse is is it it's it's making love. Now there's a special kind of intercourse that brought together between somebody that you have been in conversation with, knowing and now knowing in the biblical sense. Yeah, you're right. You couldn't have been more right. Absolutely true. I'm just putting myself in the shoes of our audience again and. I'm experiencing their frustration, maybe would be the word for it, where we have a conversation with the counselor, Sam Jolman, that is presumably about sex. But as the conversation goes on, what it's really about is that your ability to participate in a romantic relationship is the outworking of what you your soul is as a man. And so you think you're going to get practical tactical of like, here's what you do to develop a romantic soul if you're in relationship with a person. And what we say instead is, oh, sorry, you actually, man, you got to go like square one, the knowledge of the human heart, and you have to look at the kinds of things that move and impact the human heart. And you have to understand what desire is. And this is actually going to be much longer and more difficult, hopefully more rewarding, but unquestionably more complex than you were hoping when maybe you subscribed to this podcast. And we've just asked a question about, give me your 101 from Dan Allender on listening. And we're confronted again with, in order to listen, you actually have to begin with the foundational metaphysical realities of a human being's experience as a participant in a relational world where as a consequence of a triune God, all reality is sustained relationally. And then when we build with people relationally, I'm, I'm feel like this just, it doesn't feel like the shallow end to ask, how does listening work and get, oh my goodness, you have to think about time and you have to think about the other person and you have to think about the word intercourse as often as possible. And I think the question- Which that, for some people is, is much easier than others. <laughs> The question that comes up for me is, in many ways, you just address this, but specifically, why, to answer a question about listening, do you actually have to begin with such substantial, foundational realities of the experience of the human soul in the world? Why do you have to start there and not go, well, to listen well, you need to do X, Y, and Z while keeping a, B, and C in mind? Uh, it, it, again, it's a brilliant question. I just think of one time where your dad took me out on the ranch to bow hunt. I, I certainly wasn't carrying a bow or any weapon. I was carrying a little squeegee thing that made the sound of a little, like a little elk, a baby elk. I was the baby elk, you know, and we're walking through terrain and he's saying, lift your feet this way. Don't put your foot down that way. As you're going underneath a tree, here's how to approach. I mean, every portion of what we're doing feels 
weird. For a non-hunter, weird. And there are too many details. And I'm supposed to squeeze it like this, but not too many times and not a lot of force, not like that first, uh, just a little squeeze and a little bit more and think about tapering off. So I had a ball, but I felt through the entire day, like I needed to know how to take my next step. And then next and next, and I felt pretty helpless. And I think that's what most people feel if they really get into important conversations. Like, I I know not to just cut you off. I I know maybe to ask a question or two. I I know not to quickly give my opinion. I mean, those are just bottom line, obvious points. But when you're over your head in major conversations, part of the problem is your heart rate, you know, your adrenaline, your cortisol, it's going to begin pumping. And the moment you begin to feel a certain level of panic or excitability, you know, everything that you have not practiced will be lost. And that's why hopefully police prepare by going through simulations where they've got to decide whether to shoot or not. And the air rate's pretty staggering as to who they shoot and who they don't shoot. But how much better for them to actually go through it. And so we don't actually prepare people through school, or through church, through any kind of training process. All right, so your wife tells you that she doesn't feel love for you right now. All right, you're going to handle that. Your daughter tells you that she was sexually abused by a next-door neighbor. I mean, the, the hundreds of traumatic conversations, but even not just trauma, the, the major conversations of a spouse saying, I don't feel like you listen. A friend who says, I feel like you're pulling away. I don't, things don't feel the same between us as they did. I mean, you know that your body changes in those moments and you begin to feel a rush of uncertainty, of anxiety. You want to control it. You want to comfort. You want to manage it. You want to resolve it. And you go, sorry, life has its exigencies where you're out of control. And you better learn that the very core things that you bring to this world are going to require you to suffer in words, in conversations, and therefore you better get you better get training, you better get prepared. So, I mean, I'm not a hunter, but I learned so much. Let's say what I learned was enough to now take me from zero up to 1%, 2%. But the bottom line is, I actually now practice when we go through some of the woods that Becky and I walk in, I sometimes practice how to actually walk in a way that's more quiet. And it's, it's just a, a ball to begin to go, well, I don't like these hard conversations, but it's where God shows up. Now, help me gain the heart, the mind, and the words to be able to go further than, hey, man, I'm really sorry you're hurting. Uh, That's a bummer. Uh, Gee, what are you going to do about it? Uh, Hey, uh, I'll pray for you. I mean, come on. We must be better witnesses. We must know one another far better than that. And, And frankly, we've got to call one another without it being pressure-filled or in many ways whiny and demanding. We've got to call people to become more of who they were meant to be. And these are life and death conversations like the Proverbs talk about. There's life and there's death and the power of words. And I want my ability to maneuver through a minefield and through a forest. I just want it to grow. And I'm, I'm better at it than I used to be. And I'll be better in another decade or two than I am today. Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with the 
I would hate to be in those conversations and to just offer like the platitude or the, oh, like, I'm so sorry, or the oft said, like, I'll be praying for you, which yeah, of course I won't, but I'll say that anyway, to get me out of this uncomfortable situation. And I think the alternative that I want is the skill to navigate those waters, is the skill to be able to step in and say like, okay, like I can handle this and I'm not intimidated. I can walk in those woods and not trip over things or scare all the animals away to use that continued metaphor. And most other areas, I don't like that gap in the middle. I don't like that. I'm going to make a fool of myself, but unless I take a step in, like those, those are real, they're real waters because for the most part, we don't get to go and, and practice in a simulated world where we can sort of mess up with our alternative wife and then learn the lessons so we like get it right the first time. That would be awesome. I would love that. And heartbreaking to say that actually, I think that's what our culture does. It, you get a practice wife or two, and then maybe in your 40s and 50s, you'll, you'll settle into you know your second, third, fourth wife. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And that's why it's so important to have these discussions over things that are not monumental, an eight, nine, or a 10, you know, things that are as simple as, I bought some goat cheese today. And, and you know... Like it's not, it wasn't on the list that Becky wanted. I shopped for her and saw the goat cheese and remembered many moments of fine goat cheese with your family. Uh, and I just thought, literally, because we were having the podcast, I saw the goat cheese and just said, I, I, I want goat cheese. We're not currently together, but I, I texted her and said, hey, I got goat cheese. I hope it's okay. You know, and she writes back, why are you being defensive over goat cheese? And it's like texting back going, well, because you wasn't on the list. And then her response, you know, you're really a big boy. You can buy almost anything you want without my permission. Now I feel irritated. Now I feel condescended to. Uh, and so I write back and go, what? Not a good day? Uh, are you working on your condescension? Uh, she writes back and says, what do you want conflict? If you want conflict, I'll bring it when I see you. And I'm going, what? This was over freaking goat cheese. And happened in and a matter of 30 seconds. It did. It did. And, you know, this is 40 years of marriage. And I'm going, are we any better than this? Or am I any better? Or is she any better than this? And the answer is, I think we've got a major conversation that's not like resolved, but a conversation on, yeah, why did I feel like I needed to tell you I got goat cheese? Because. It's really no big deal. And why didn't you just go, oh, good. We would have been so much better if I hadn't written or if she had just said, fine. But no, she wants to know me, which disrupts something of the world of, of, of delight and honor by opening the door to the possibility of contempt and dishonor. Nonetheless, I think you practice there before you're dealing with, yeah, our daughter just got arrested now, how are we going to engage that? Or, you know, we have not been in this position yet, but as we age, uh, of course it will come. And that is, I just got a diagnosis and it's not a good one. How will we deal with that? So you do a lot of prep in the smaller numbers, two, three, four, that don't seem that significant, but they're all part of the larger training for our hearts to be in the big leagues when our, our skill level must be much higher. Yeah, it's huge. I feel like that does make me want to come back to the piece that you were speaking to with the witness, because actually what stirred in me 
that's the same thing that kind of stirred in the way that you were talking about being able to navigate those deeper conversations. And the witnessing language has this other centeredness about it. That when I think about approaching a conversation, I the questions I'm often asking in my head are, okay, what can I offer? How can I ask the right questions? How can I kind of be, even if it's really noble, like how can I be what this person needs in this moment? And all of them are I questions, actually. And very few of them are, how can I see this person? Or how can I, that's what I was noticing in myself, as you were saying, this witnessing aspect. There's this element of the self. There's this element of the, I don't want to fail, so I'm not going to have the hard conversation around goat cheese, let alone the hard conversation around a diagnosis for anyone close by that I think is a, is a massive piece. And uh, how, do you, how do you approach kindly that, new, that, that posture towards the self? Yeah, well, and, and it, it, I think you said this key word that I would come back to, the word kindly. You know, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. If that's accurate, then that has to be the sine qua non of what I want to have in any conversation, that there would be kindness between us and that whatever I have known of the kindness of God, I have the privilege of being able to invite you to. I think that's one thing that I, I would say I am most changed by being in relationship with Becky over 40 years, actually like 42 years. I, I just don't know a kinder person on the face of the earth than my wife. And watching how she engages our daughters, our son, our grandchildren, our friends, uh, I, oftentimes I look at her and go, oh, that's how, that's how. Now, I can't just go mimic, but I can begin to ask, what is in her heart that allows her to bring this kind of goodness into other people's hearts? And often, sadly, we think that the word kind is, you know, synonymous with the word nice. And I mean, I, I think what she actually wrote me was pretty playful. Uh, and actually was when I got my slightly hurt soul back far enough, I actually like what she wrote. Like, you're a big boy, you know, you you get to make a lot of decisions and those decisions are good. Now, basically, I think she's asking, and why did you inform me about the coaches? So maybe that conversation won't be particularly rich or long tonight, but just the ability to be able to say, Thank you for texting. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for many ways playfully mocking me. But it's not mockery, I promise. It's it's so infused with kindness and with that desire, not just to witness, not just to know, but to call me to become more of the man that I'm meant to be. That, you know, I, I could do another 40 years with her, um, Lord willing if this is the byproduct of of that kind of, of conversation. Love it. I want to turn to another concept that you've talked about. And of the two you originally introduced with becoming present to a person, recognizing this kind of playful, sacred boundary of time, but then also you mentioned honor. And of the two, I feel like, Time is at least a little intuitive of most of us have experiences of the ways in which you can live into your time or you can employ your time well, or you can recognize the way that you're structuring your life to reflect the things that you value. At least on some level, 
there's some familiarity with the value and even the functionality of time. But honor feels uh, much more ambiguous. Recently watched the film again. Actually, I only watched the first 20 minutes because M pointed out that it's actually, I don't know if we'll use this, totally stupid. The Last Samurai. <laughs> Emily's this is Rocky's is all Emily's ability to take things that are kind of fun and then like point out why they actually are pandering to you is sometimes I I want to be a pander too. Yeah, has for the most part been really awesome, but every once in a while where I especially with like media where I'm like, you should watch this is good. And she's like, that film would be good if there was no dialogue. They're just all, all they're doing is repeating all of the things that are being shown and they're doing it inartistically and I'm really bored. Um, I think we will be using this plane. <laughs> well, there you go, audience. A little thing of what it's like to be married with Emily. But, you know, I, because we'd watched The Last Samurai recently, you said honor and I was like, oh yeah, honor. Man, even in a comparatively simple movie about a revolution to principle, it's not totally clear how honor functions besides the fact that it's like synonymous with integrity and it feels like you're using it in a different way because you talked about coming to give honor and I don't know that you can come to give integrity or authenticity it's something different would you just talk a little bit more about honor and what it is that you are doing when you are honoring a person in the space of any interaction but especially a conversation yeah, I think in some ways, uh, it, and love that you brought, and love that M brought up, you know, it's an aesthetic experience. You know, are you captured by the beauty of the other? And that which is beautiful, you just naturally honor. I mean, you have a disposition in many ways of putting yourself under that which has captured your sense of goodness and beauty. So that aesthetic that begins with the sense of not envying that which is greater but admiring of being able to hold and see and have uh, uh, the presence of glory. And then to go, you know, that's where like, a movie that addresses a Japanese culture as, as Last Samurai does, but doesn't deal with in some ways, like the principle of wabi-sabi, of in many ways, the honoring of brokenness. The principle that you... Not glory and not not worship, but you put yourself below even brokenness and and find goodness in it. That the art form of kinshugi, the taking a broken pot and using the lacquer of of gold flakes to bring it back into not just cohesion, but actually even greater beauty than the original pot or or cup was. You know, in some ways. Eastern cultures have an aesthetic that's different than Western. And I would say most Western aesthetics are built around the notion of perfection, which immediately says, wait a minute, but Jesus shows himself even in Revelation 5 of being the slaughtered lamb. I mean, the marks of the cross stay with Jesus in his glorified state. So why is it that we do not honor even one another's brokenness? Uh, one another's need for redemption, one another's glory, even in how redemption comes about. So when there is a sense that the other is way more beautiful than you and that you are captured by their beauty, even their brokenness becomes something that that even though you would want healing and change, there's still a sense of which 
this is where the, 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 you know, the obvious cracks that allow the light to shine through. That kind of understanding of honor is, I don't just honor that you've done well. I certainly do that. But I honor even where there's brokenness because I already begin to see something of the beauty of how there is a new cohesion and goodness. I think that is the stance before the other, which is why I literally remind myself when I begin a conversation with someone to take my shoes off. I'm not, I mean, I'm not Eastern enough to do that, but the idea of, you know, this is holy ground and you, you need to find ways in your own heart to go, this is a conversation with Becky. It isn't just about goat cheese. It's about something even far greater. You need to take your shoes off because you're now on holy ground where you're honoring what beauty really holds and what beauty can become. It's just fascinating hearing you go on and you say that you actually have to remind yourself that you're in holy ground in the space of a conversation indicates that we know that you've done a considerable amount of time uh, to develop the aptitude, to develop the ability to see uh, the beauty in a person's life. I'd love to ask about the kind of peripheral activities that you would recommend to a young man to develop that kind of awareness. I remember in one article on story, you said that often people who are great listeners are great lovers of fiction, that they've actually, literally through the discipline of fiction, developed their ability to be fascinated and to engage with story. What else in a young man's process of maturity would be helpful to take up as a practice? And I want to admit that internally right now, I'm holding my deck of cards and I'm hoping you're about to read a few of the things that I am holding. <laughs> Please tell me the things that I am doing with my life are the things that you're about to recommend. I really hope that physical exercises would because that would validate a lot of my time. Hayao Miyazaki movies, <laughs> brewing kombucha. Come on, no whammies. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, look, it helps a whole lot uh, to have had a, a really deeply disturbed mother and be an only child, and to be only child of an only child, and the only child of an only child of an only child. So, I mean, there weren't a lot of relationships in my world uh, that weren't just whacked. So, uh, Cohen brothers uh, have described extremely well something of the nature of, of what a strange world it is. So, I think in many ways, well before fiction became an option, I, I just watched the craziness of my world, which... I, I, you know, I, I don't commend to be born uh, to mentally ill mothers, but when you got that privilege, then make use of it. So I think there's always the possibility to be able to look back at our own history, because I don't think you'll be that much more intrigued in other people's stories if you're not also intrigued by how did you get to where you are? How did you get to the point that y- you think the way you think? Uh, so I think... The unusual nature of every human heart is once you get below, you know, the first couple cuticle levels of skin, people are whacked. I mean, people are whacked. They are far more broken and far more beautiful than they have a clue. So just that knowledge, like we live next door to an FBI agent who took just one look at me the first day that I moved in and just said, you know, well, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't pleasant. And 
you know, I tried to talk to him and he would give me two seconds of time. But the way he cut the lawn, I love watching him cut the lawn. And so sometimes uh, in the summer, uh, I would get a beer or two, put up my chair and just watch him cut the lawn and smoke a cigar. And after, you know, one or two times, you know, he'd see me every time he went by. It's clear I'm watching him. And it, it was the precision, uh, like incredible commitment to the beauty of his lawn. And finally, after a couple of times, he came up to me and he goes, what are you doing? What are you watching? And I said, your artwork, you, I mean, look at my lawn. And he goes, yeah, look at your lawn. Why don't you work in your lawn? And I said, well, I'm too busy watching you. And so we begin a dialogue and he's not a pleasant man. He doesn't like he doesn't like criminals like me. And he had that intuitive sense that, uh, you know, my criminality precedes me. It's part of my aura. Uh, and so first and foremost, if you're not intrigued with how you have become who you are, you're probably not going to be that intrigued with regard to others. And I mean, if you if you go to films, you know, other than just you know, even some shoot them up films, uh, I wish I could remember the one I just saw. It's an assassin who's got out of the field, come back in, and he's just bored by his job, but he's really good at shooting people. Um, Does that ring a bell at all? No, actually, that was I watched that film several times without without sound, and it was excellent. And then I made a mistake on a United flight of watching it and listened to it, and I was heartbroken. Um, <laughs> oh. I, I like I the painting when it came at the end. That you can, was my you can appreciate the fact that we're talking about listening to people's stories, and this is the second film that we've listed where the sound is better not hearing a word. Yeah, but that, that, that's the whole point of it. When you start, I mean, like, just watching a film and seeing if you can figure it out. I mean, look, if... if if you're playing four hours of video games, you can afford just to watch a film without sound uh, and see what you get as to what's the dialogue, what's it about, what, you know, where, where just by the face you begin to get a sense something's happening. And then watch it again. Uh, I've done that, unfortunately, many times on United Flights where I just, I need to keep working, but I'm watching part of the film. So uh, maybe another major, major area is you need a guide. Uh, like anything, like how John helped me walk through the forest. I would never have done that on my own. And so the question of who, who do you look to who has the appearance of, of, of the fruit, at least, of having good conversations? When you have a really good conversation with somebody, to be able to ask, well, how did that come about? And be able to, I mean, I mean I'm so honored to be on your podcast trying the, to address some of those questions, but you you, you gain so much by mimicry, um, by watching and being able to go, oh, let me try this. But I think one of the things that I, I don't know how to how to invite somebody to, but if you don't have at least an appreciation, almost an admiration for failure, this is not a good area for you to be able to grow in. It's a bit like fly fishing. It's almost guaranteed to humiliate you. Uh, and even after you get pretty good at it, you're still going to have many moments where the failure rate is going to be far greater than whatever success you have. And yet that humbling, the willingness to humble yourself and to come back to the person, where did I miss you? Where, what would have been said that would have been something your heart would have responded to? That's amazing 
data, and especially when the person's pissed at you. Uh, even there is data that you're going to get. So your willingness to fail, uh, to stay in, to submit yourself to a discipling learning process, we, we think because we speak that fundamentally it's supposed to be easy. Uh, we simply know. We should simply know. This is a skill that 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 a warrior develops because they know there is power in words. Dan, that was a, a killer close. Uh, and I want to practice a little bit of what we've been talking about today. And we committed to an hour. Dan, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. You are so welcome. You, you, you know my heart's delight to be with both of you. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com, join our mailing list, and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 